today we're going to finish up a series called Kingdom Values. And this whole time we've been talking about different values that we see in the life of Christ, in the kingdom of God, and how we can take those same values and not, not only apply them to our lives individually, but to our church and what happens here. So, um, so we've talked about four different values that Jesus has. We said he valued people. We said he valued truth. We said he valued the presence of God. And then today we're going to finish up with valuing mission, that Jesus had a mission, we have a mission, and it's a value that we have to put ourselves in. And so, um, so we're going to get into that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you the story of Behan. Everybody say Behan. has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to hear you say it. Um, Behan is a 50-year-old Turkish man. And this, some of you may have seen this in the news. It came out probably two years ago. Um, but Behan is a 50-year-old Turkish man. And Behan went out to the bar one night and got drunk. And so Behan uh, was drunk. And instead of walking home with his with his friends or going you know, back to his house, Behan turned left and went straight out into the woods behind the barn. And when he did, his buddies could not find him. Behan never came back out of the woods. And so they got worried. They got upset. They called his family. Um, they said, hey, is Behan at home? They're like, no, we haven't seen him. They said, well, he went in the woods and we can't find him. And so in this town in Turkey, they began to form a search party. And they got the search party together. And the search party went out into the woods looking for Behan, and they had the police, and they had all these people out, and they got their flashlights, and they're out there looking for Behan, and as they're looking for Behan, um, all of a sudden, one of the guys calls out his name, he says, Behan, and whenever he yells out Behan, Behan, who happened to be in the search party, said, what? And the guy looks, Behan looks, and he says, who are we looking for? And they said, we're looking for Behan. He said, I am Behan. They said, well, we're looking for you. And he said, please don't tell my wife. You know, like right off the bat. <laughs> Behan had gotten drunk, got out in the woods, got sobered up, I guess. And whenever he saw all these people going out looking for somebody, he just joined in. Like he was like, hey, we're searching for somebody. Let's go find them. And so Behan's out there looking for somebody. Turns out Behan was looking for himself. We find ourselves in that position in Christianity a lot, right? Behan's out looking for himself. And can you imagine the officials, like how they felt when they found out that the guy they're looking for is a part of their search party? They were very upset. They wanted to prosecute him and put him in jail. Um, and Behan just was worried about what his wife was going to say. So um, he kind of wanted to go back into hiding, but they wouldn't let him do it. A couple of things I want to just point out about this story real quickly is, is a couple of... A couple of um, I don't want to say lies, but a couple of, of myths when it comes to the mission of God on our life. A couple of myths that we have. One myth that we have is that the mission of God is just about building a, a bigger church. It's just about crowd size. That's a myth that we have a lot of times in church is that the mission of God is to see how many people we can put in the room. Because what happens a lot of times is we end up with the, if the goal is just to put more bodies in the seats, then what we do is we end up finding found people. We just drain another church in order to grow ours. And so what you have a lot in America today is church growth is really built on the backs of church death. One church dies so another church can grow. And we're not finding lost people, we're found, finding found people. We're out with the search party looking for Behan, who's already part of our group. Right? 
And so that's what we do. And so that's a myth. Another myth is this, that we all have one specific mission. And if you deviate from that mission, if you do something different, that you've missed the calling of God on your life. That's what we think sometimes. And, and, and I've, I've talked to young people especially, and they say, I've got to know the, the calling of God. I've got to know the mission of God. I've got to know what God has called me specifically to do. Am I supposed to be a pastor? Or am I supposed to be an engineer? Or am I supposed to be a doctor? Or am I supposed to be a garbage man? I don't know. But God's called me to something. I've got to figure that out. When in reality, there's a big mission out there, a general overall mission that God has for this world. And we need to be more like Behan, not drunk in the woods. But whenever we see, hey, they're searching for somebody, I'm just going to join in the hunt. I don't even know who we're looking for, but I'm going to find them, right? And that was kind of Behan's idea. And, and I feel like sometimes for us, we get caught up in this idea of this one specific thing. And when we get caught up in that, and I'm not saying God can't use you in a specific place. I feel like God has called me to this ministry, to this church at this time. But I've told you before, when there was a time when I thought we were going to have to shut the church down because we didn't have any money or people, I, I told my wife and I told our leadership team, I said, it doesn't matter if we shut the church down, it's not going to stop the calling of God on my life. Because God's calling on my life is to win the lost. God's calling on my life is to speak the truth. And so those things can continue on whether I have a pulpit or not. And so we need to understand that there's a big mission that Jesus has. There's a mission that God has for us. And it doesn't have to be one specific thing. It can be a very general mission. And how he uses you within that mission at different times is totally up to him. It's totally up to him. So today, that's what we're going to get started with. And so uh, one of the things I, I want to look at is uh, I've got one verse that kind of gets us started. And then we're going to go into John chapter 4. Um, so if you've got your Bibles and you want to go ahead and look to John chapter 4, go ahead and look that up. If you've got your phone or your iPad, go to the Bible app, look up John chapter 4. If you're in your phone or iPad today, I'm using the NLT, the New Living Translation today, so that'll help you be on the same page with us. Um, if you're in your physical Bible today and you're in King James, you're going to be very lost. But that's okay, you'll figure it out. All right, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This tells us the mission of Christ. It says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's very simple. Jesus didn't give us a really big, long, in-depth um, job description. He said, here's, here's my mission. Seek, go out and look for, and save those who are lost. There's another place in the Bible where it says he came to destroy the works of the devil, which just means what's the work of the devil is sin, right? And so, so Jesus' mission is very simple. He is looking for lost people, and he saves lost people. How does he save them? By destroying sin, by eradicating sin, by getting rid of sin in their lives. And so it's a very simple mission. And so, so for us, it's going to be the same thing. If we have Christ in us, if his spirit lives inside of us, then guess what happens? We adopt the same mission that he has becomes our mission. That becomes our mission. It's just like if you were to get on a team, if you're, um, if you're a football player, one of the things we see a lot of nowadays is, is um, in college football, people transferring from one team to another, right? A lot of times what happens is, is if the coach comes in and the coach has a certain way of doing things or the coach has a certain plan, the, the people on the team, the players on the team, either have to align themselves with that coach's uh, philosophy or they have to get out. You've got to align yourself with the coach's philosophy. You've got to understand this is what the coach wants. And his mission has now become 
my mission. And so we're going to look at at Jesus' mission in John chapter 4. I'm going to go verse by verse for a little while, starting in verse 4. I'll try to speed through some parts that maybe um, don't apply specifically to a couple of things, but but we're going to get the the essence here. Uh, And and we're going to start off by seeing the values of Christ. And then as we move through the story, we're going to see how we can apply those values and we can be on mission too. So starting in verse 4, it says, talking about Jesus, he had gone through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria on the way. So Jesus is on a journey and he has to go through Samaria. little background, uh, Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. We say this a lot, but just to give you background, um, it, it, would be a, it would be a cultural issue. Um, although, although they look alike physically, they look alike they don't like each other. It stems back to the Old Testament. It stems back to um, the Israelites being taken captive to Babylon and the Samaritans coming in and kind of being a mixed breed of religion um, and culture. And so the Samaritans look down, I mean, the, the Jews look down on the Samaritans. They call them dogs quite often. They don't really care for the Samaritans. And the Samaritans don't care for the Jews. And so Jesus is, is on his way somewhere, but it says he had to go through Samaria to get there. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, this is the key point for right here for this verse, was tired from the long walk and sat wearily beside the well about noontime. I want to show you right off the bat, we're going to go through those same four values that Jesus values. The first value I'm going to point out is that he values mission. And here's how I know he values mission. You're about to read the story of Jesus being on mission, but he's also tired and weary. In other words, if I know someone values something, if they're willing to put forth the effort to do it, even when they're tired, even when they're weary. Anybody can do something fresh, right? Anybody can do something fresh. I was just talking to to Shane earlier, and, and he was telling me about being at church this morning, and he said, but I stayed up last night to watch the Colorado, Colorado State game. He said they didn't start overtime until 1 o'clock this morning. Now, he's crazy. Just right off the bat, we know that. Like, who stays up that late to watch a game? Uh, someone else did. Will did. Um, and so, and so he stayed up late to watch the game, but he shows up this morning tired and weary, right? Probably pumped full of caffeine. He'll crash in a few minutes, but tired and weary, he shows up this morning because he knows he's got something to do. And, and so I, I see someone, if you value mission, you're willing to do it even when you don't feel good, even when you don't feel like it. And what we do sometimes in life or in church is, is we only do the things that are comfortable to us. Now, I was just talking to, um, I was talking to our team the other day, and I, I told them, I said, I said, listen, we can say God did some stuff, but there's some stuff that we've got to learn how to change in ourselves. And I said, whenever I first started uh, in ministry, and especially in church, I, I, I can be very introverted off of stage. If I don't know you, I can be very introverted. Last night, uh, I, I preached a wedding, and, um, and whenever I preached a wedding, I didn't know, beside the bride and groom... I didn't know anybody else at the, at the wedding at first, and I was, and I was getting really nervous because Perry couldn't be there. She was at a volleyball thing, and, um, and so, so here I'm at this wedding, and I'm getting nervous because I know I don't know anybody, and I know the bride and groom are going to go off and do their own thing, and I'm going to be stuck with a bunch of strangers, and I'm introverted, and I struggle with that. And so I'm looking out the window, you know, like seeing who's showing up. And I see Candace and Andrew show up. And then I get up on stage and I, I see Jack and Aslan there. And I'm like, 
oh, thank God. Like, even on stage, I'm like, just thanking God. I'm like, there's somebody, there's, there's people that I know at this wedding. And so as soon as the wedding ceremony was over and we're going to get food, I told Candace and Andrew, I said, listen, I'm going to be in your hip pocket whether you like it or not tonight. You're my Perry. Like, you two are my Perry, and I'm going to just be right beside you. And sure enough, everywhere they went, I stayed right beside them, like a little dog. Because I'm like, i got to have somebody I know, right? And, and so that's an aspect of my life that not many people know about, because they think, oh, well, you get on stage and you talk. But off stage, I'm not like that all the time, and I, I struggle sometimes. And I had to teach myself how to be extroverted. I had to teach myself how to engage in relationship and how to engage in conversation, because I couldn't just hide my whole life. And, and there's aspects of being on mission that, that whenever, whenever God has called you to do something and his calling is to seek and save the lost, and if that's all of our callings is to seek and save the lost, we can't hide behind discomfort. There's going to be times you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone, and I want to encourage everyone to learn to do that. Maybe it's little steps out. But one of the reasons we do the family time, I've had people tell me before, they said, Gabriel, you really are not considerate of the introverts in the room when you do family time. And I said, you're wrong. I am considerate. I'm teaching them how to get out of their shell and talk to people. Why? Because I have to do the same thing. Listen, we first started the church and we did family time and it was my idea. You know what I would do? That was my chance to go to the bathroom. (laughs) That was my chance to conveniently forget something in my office. And I would go hide until family time was over and I'd come right back. And I've had to learn over the years, step out of your comfort zone. Listen, for us, we've got to have a time. If we're going to be used by God, we've got to step out of our comfort zone. We've got to be able to operate even when we don't feel like it. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says this to to Timothy, who's a young pastor. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. He says, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. He tells Timothy, even if you don't feel like it, you got to be willing. Some versions say in season and out. we got to be ready. we got to be ready to, to do what God's asked us to do. Let's go down. Verse 7. I'm going to get hung up here. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Um, and, and you understand in those days, again, the, the, the context of the day is that men were, were dominant. Women um, sometimes seen as lesser. So not only is this woman uh, a woman, but she's a Samaritan. So it's like two strikes against her in the context of the day, in the culture of the day. And so a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, and, and also, just FYI, she happened to be there at the middle of the day. We say this every time we preach this message or this, this, this scripture. But typically women came in the morning or in the evening. They also typically came in groups. The fact that she's coming in the middle of the day without a group, she's coming by herself to get water, shows us something. She's probably a reject. There's something about her life that nobody else likes, and so she doesn't have anyone to be with her. And so we need to understand, again, adding context to the story, that here Jesus is, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. He's a Jew. This woman is a woman, Samaritan, reject. So... So she's got all these strikes against her. He's got no strikes against him. And that's going to bring us to our next point. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, right? She's surprised. Why? Because I told you all those things about her. She was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, Are you a Jew? And I'm a Samaritan woman? Why are you asking me for a drink? So really quickly, values of Christ... One of the things he values is mission. We said that in the first time, even when you don't feel like it. The second thing he values is people. Even when they don't deserve it, 
even whenever they're different from you, even when they may be considered less than you, Jesus values people. He values people. And, and he values people more than the customs. He values people more than the traditions. He just values people. And aren't we so thankful that Jesus values people? The Bible says that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He values us even whenever we're sinners. Even when we reject him, he still values us. So we, we need to under- My wife is teaching kids today. <laughs> as you can hear through the walls. Those of you watching online, just be grateful. Um, but I'm okay. I would rather hear, hear that than, than lots of other stuff. So, um, so Jesus values people. Verse 10, let's keep going. We've got to go fast here because I want to get to the points. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God had for you uh, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She gets hung up on the details. Jesus is not trying to talk about actual water here. And this well is very deep. Where would you get the living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than Jacob who gave us this well and you can offer better water than he and our sons and animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. He's trying to get her back on track. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. So this woman is looking for a way out, right? She's like, if you give me this magic water, that's what she thinks. If you give me magic water, I'll never have to come here and be rejected by all the women that don't like me, right? And we're going to find out why in just a second. I'll never have to deal with my problems again. Jesus is not trying to give her a way to not deal with problems anymore. He's talking about an eternal spiritual issue in her life. So verse 16, this is the part that I want to, we're going to have a point here. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. You're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman replied, you must be a prophet. No joke. So Jesus, Jesus looks at this woman and he tells her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you've had five husbands. You've been through five divorces and now you're living with the dude that's not your husband. You've been rejected by men. You slept with every dude in the city and now all the women don't like you. So nobody likes you except the one guy that's letting you live with him. Like, this woman's had a bad go of it. But here's the interesting thing that I find about Jesus, is that Jesus values the mission, and he values people, but he also values truth. He very easily could have just covered up everything and said, it's okay, and your life is fine, and don't worry about it. He could have very easily done that. He could have very excused her sin, but instead he pointed it out in a loving way, in in a way that he cares for her, but he points out the fact that she's got some messed up stuff in her life. And what we do sometimes in life is when, we, when we're confronted with people and, and we're on the mission of God and we're sent to seek and save the lost, what we want to do a lot of times is we want to cover up the truth and we want to cover up the facts and we want to cover up the sin and, and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we don't want anybody to reject us and, and we don't want anybody to cry or be upset. And so we, we handle everybody with kid gloves. And I love how Jesus handles her like an adult. He loves her, he cares for her, he's tired and worn out, but he stays just for this woman, and he's not afraid to tell her the truth. And he tells her the truth. And look at how she responds. You must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. And then we're going to get to the last, the last uh, value of Christ here in, in verse 20. It says, so tell me, 
Why is it that, this is her talking, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? So she starts getting in the weeds again. This poor lady, like she can't get focused on one thing. Jesus is trying to lead her. It's kind of like, kind of like being a parent of a teenager, right? And so she's trying to, Jesus is trying to lead her in a spiritual direction and she gets hung up on you don't have a rope or a bucket and now she's getting hung up on where are we supposed to worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when, I, when it will no longer matter where you, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He begins to lay the groundwork for seeking the presence of God. He begins to lay the groundwork that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so, so we told you that Jesus values presence, and this is one of the ways that he lays it out for her. And then I want you to see what he says in verse, or she says in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, there's been plenty of places in the Bible where Jesus does not call himself the Messiah. He uses other words. He says, son of man, which is a term in the Old Testament for the Messiah. But, but even, even there's times when, when Jesus is uh, casting out devils and they say, we know you're the Holy One. He says, shut your mouth, right? Like, like there's moments in, in there where Jesus doesn't allow people to know that he's the Messiah. But I want you to see something. He reveals himself to her and what is it whenever we're seeking the presence of god when we go into prayer or we go into worship or we read our bibles whenever we're in fellowship with each other what is the one thing that we really want more than anything we want god to reveal himself to us when i pray or i read my bible or i worship my desire is to have the holy spirit speak to my heart my desire is for god to reveal himself to me in jesus has a moment here where he reveals himself, he reveals his glory, he reveals his, his purpose to this woman. This is that place where he values presence more than anything else. Verse 27 says this, Then Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. I love what I'm about to read. They were shocked to find him talk, talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? I love that. I love the reality of the Bible and how the disciples know if we ask him a stupid question, he's going he's gonna to get us. Like, we're in trouble, so everybody just keep your mouth shut. And I like the fact that John wrote it in there even though he wasn't about to say it, right? Like, John wasn't about to ask a question, but he writes in his journal. He's like, we all wanted to ask, but none of us would do it. We're all too scared. So it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I want you to see something, and we're going to get into the practical parts of of, uh, the mission of Christ and how we can be on mission. And I'm going to give you five thoughts on how we can be on mission. They're going to be fairly quick. They're going to go through the verses. But I want you to notice something. As soon as this woman learns something from Christ, she immediately takes on the mission of Christ. As soon as she finds out he's the Messiah, she immediately, immediately takes on the mission. She goes back to her hometown and tells everybody about him. Now, she was never trained to do that. She didn't go through Bible school. She didn't go through a connect class to join the church. She, didn't, uh, she wasn't a part of a small group. Uh, she didn't go through discipleship. 
She just went and told everybody that she knew. And, 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 and so that's one of the things I want to just right from the bat begin to tell you is that you don't have to have all the formal training to be on the mission of Christ. You may have to have training to get on the stage. You may have to have training to teach a class, but you don't have to have training to be on the mission of Christ. And so sometimes we get caught up in thinking I'm not good enough. I want you to see a woman right here who 10 minutes ago was, was in sin and didn't know Jesus. She meets Jesus and all of a sudden she's on the mission. And what we do in church a lot of times is we meet Jesus and then we sit in the comfortable chairs for about three years before we ever get on the mission of Christ. And this woman did it immediately. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. The Bible says that Jesus cast a, a, a thousand demons out of a man one time. And as soon as the man comes into his right mind, he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go to your hometown. He goes to his hometown and tells everybody about Jesus. He didn't have formal training. He just did what he knew to do. And so I want to tell you that, that, that being on mission is not hard. Being on mission doesn't, you don't have to be special to be on the mission of God. You don't have to have a, a, a holy calling. You've already been called. You've already been called. The day you accept Christ, you accept his mission. The day you accept him as your savior, you also accept him as your Lord. And if he's your Lord, that means he's in charge and his mission is now your mission. So let's look at a couple of things real quick. The, if we want to be on mission, the first thing we got to do is we got to learn how to be kind. Be kind. Now, we can read through the scriptures at how unkind the Jews were to the, to the Samaritans. But I want you to notice how kind Jesus was to this lady. And I know this doesn't sound like the cool thing to do and it's in the spiritual thing like, like we all want. But look, if we don't have good character, people are going to recognize that and they're not going to want to have anything to do with Jesus. One of the things I can't stand is whenever I see Christians that want to come in and, and they want to they get up and preach and then they want to get off stage and gossip. They want to come down here and pray for you, but then they want to leave and talk bad about the other person behind their back. Don't tell me you're a Christian if you can't be nice. If you can't be nice, don't call yourself a Christian. Just say you're working on it. Just on your Facebook status, say it's complicated, right? Because at the end of the day, you're not helping anybody. You're not helping him, and you're not helping the church, and you're not helping yourself. Learn how to just be a kind, normal human being and love people. That's a good start. The Bible says this in Romans 2, 4. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Some translations say his kindness leads us to repentance. The fact is the kindness of God leads people into life change. We need to be a reflection of that kindness. We need to just love people and be kind to people. That's probably why we start our service with... Here's some snacks to give you a little bit of a sugar high so you can get out of your shell and go be kind to somebody. It's an easy way to do it in here. But that way, whenever you're at the gas station, you can be kind there too. I pulled up next to a lady at Publix the other day and she's got a baby in one arm and she's trying to get her groceries and she's got her buggy. And I pull up and I said, and, and, and this isn't special. This is not special. Um, but I do this quite often because I think it's easier for me. I said, hey, can I take your buggy and I'll take it back inside. It's easy for me. It's already there. I'm not really doing anything magic or special. But whenever I said that to the lady, I said, hey, can I take your buggy and I'll take it inside for you? Because I see she's got her hands full. She looked at me as though I was Mother Teresa. Like, you would have thought I just gave this lady a gold bar, right? Except she wouldn't have been able to help hold it. And, and, so, um, and, so, I was like, and so I said, yeah, it, it, she's like, thank you so much. I was like, it's, it's 
really not a big deal. What was I doing? I was just being a normal, kind person. Like, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take Bible school to do that. It doesn't take a, a, a law degree to do that. Just, just be kind. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. The first step in being on the mission of God is just, just having good character. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, self-control. And there's another one in there I missed, faithfulness. Like there's fruit of the Spirit. I think it's interesting that it's called the fruit of the Spirit because what do you do with fruit? You give fruit to people and they're refreshed and renewed. After a long race, the first thing they've got for for my son at cross country is oranges and bananas, right? It's fruit. It's refreshing. And, and, And the Bible says that we have this fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it's not for us to hoard. It's for us to give out to other people. When I show someone kindness or love or patience, I'm giving them a fruit and it refreshes them. They see the Father in heaven. So be kind. That's the first step. I probably spent too much time on that. You're probably all very kind, and you're looking at me like I'm the mean one. Number two, you've got to be willing to share. You've got to be willing to share. And, and look, I want you to notice something. The lady didn't have a sermon. All she had was a story. There are multiple places in the Bible where people don't have a sermon. All they've got is a story. And you've got to be willing to share your story. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus heals a blind man. And the Bible says he was born blind. And um, Jesus comes up. He heals a blind man. And the blind man, then Jesus walks off. Like the guy's never seen, period. He's never seen Jesus. He's never seen anybody. And, and Jesus heals him and then walks away. And the, and the church leaders are mad. And they get the blind man. And they're like, who healed you? He's like, I don't know. I've never seen anybody before. I don't know what he looks like. He didn't let me feel his face. What do you think, right? And so, and so they're like, who healed you? And how did it happen? And was he from God? And the blind man goes, whoa, 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 whoa. All I know is once I was blind, and now I can see. One of the greatest sermons I've ever heard, once I was blind, and now I can see. The demoniac I just told you about, the Bible says he went to the, to the ten cities around the area where he was healed, and he just tells people what Jesus did for him. He didn't go into the Old Testament, and he didn't do an exegesis of how everything happened. No, no, no. He just told people what happened to him. This woman, the Bible says, went back into the city and told everybody, come see a man that told me everything about my life. She didn't tell them all about worshiping God on this mountain or that mountain. And she didn't talk about the Samaritans and the Jews. She didn't talk about Jacob's well. She just said, listen, all I know is I met a man. I think he's a Messiah. You need to come meet him too. The first step is being kind. The second step is sharing, and you've got to be willing to share your story. If you don't know anything else, you know what Jesus did in your life. And can I tell you something? If he hasn't done anything in your life, then you need to give your life to him. Because once you hand your life over to him, he's going to do all kinds of great stuff. But the first thing is share your story. You don't have to have a sermon. You just have to have a story. The next step in that, in sharing, is the, the Bible says that we need to study to show ourselves approved. Listen, you can share your story for a number of years, but I would encourage everyone, study. Know more about what Christ is doing. That's why we do like small groups, so you have a chance to sit down and talk to other people about it. That, that's, that's why I talk to people all the time, and people ask me questions, and, and, and I bounce stuff off of people, because, because I want to study and grow and learn 
Um, I was talking to Adrian the other day, and he was saying, he was saying, you know, the, the Bible says that the word of God is a sword. And he said, some of us have dull swords and some of us have sharp swords. It's important that we sharpen our sword by studying God's word and knowing more about him. Don't get stuck in a place where all you have is a story. That's a great starting point, but eventually grow in your knowledge of who Christ is and what he does. And then another thing that we need to do in that and sharing is being willing to submit to someone else. One of the things I used to do all the time is, and I teach my son to do this, I teach other people to do this. I talked to someone this week and told them to do this. I said, if you get something, if you're reading the Bible and you get something that you feel like is from God, or you're praying and you get something you feel like is from God, before you go share it to the world, come talk to me. Go talk to to, to a cowboy. Go talk to Pastor Nathan. Go, go find somebody that has studied the scriptures. Go talk to your small group leader. Run it past somebody. I knew someone one time, and, and every time they heard something new or something spiritual, they grabbed onto it and they ran with it like crazy. The problem was half the time it was wrong. Next thing I know, they're telling me that God told them to do drugs and, um, and sleep with other women, and I'm like, I, I don't think that's God. I'm pretty sure you didn't submit to anybody. Like, you're just out on your own doing your own craziness. So learn how to submit. So, so share your story. And once you've done that, learn how to study. So show yourself approved. And then thirdly, submit that to someone. And then the, the third thing that I see this woman do that we need to do is just be a bridge. Be a bridge. Being a bridge just means, listen, there may be only so far you can take someone spiritually. So be a bridge. Bring them with you. I heard a, a, a preacher say this one time, and I loved it. He said, he said I teach, uh, he was a youth pastor. He said, I teach my kids never to invite anyone to church. I tell my kids, you bring people to church, which means if you got to go pick them up and take them to breakfast first, you bring people to church, right? Inviting someone is good, but bringing someone is better. I love how this woman, she went back into town, and I can just see this lady. She is bringing people back with her. Uh, It doesn't say this in the Bible, but in my mind, I can envision her grabbing some folks and shaking them and pulling them and dragging them. She's saying, you've got to come see what's happening. When it comes to us being on mission, we got to be kind. we got to be willing to share. And then we got to learn how to be that bridge between them and in Christ. And whatever I can do to help you get to him. And then once I get you there, I'll get out of the way. And we'll see that later on. But I want to be the one that brings you there. The Bible says that that Andrew was a disciple of Christ. Andrew was a disciple before Peter was. Peter was Andrew's brother. The Bible says that Andrew went and found Peter, grabbed him and brought him to Jesus. We have to be a bridge for people. So let's get back into the, the passage here because we're going to keep going with this mission. John chapter 4, uh, verse 31 now. So we're all the way down at 31. We're almost done. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. This is really cool. I want you to check this out. It says, But Jesus replied, I have food. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And look at the disciples. I love them. They're just like me. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Like, that's the first thing they ask. They know Jesus is probably being spiritual, and their whole mindset is, Does he have a snack somewhere? Like, did someone go to Walmart and get him a snack? I don't know. And and so then verse 34, Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me um, from finishing his work. Look at this. The word nourishment there means that which delights and satisfies the mind. If you want to be fulfilled in life, get on mission. Get on mission. 
Jesus says, I'm fulfilled. What satisfies me is being on mission. Not the food I'm eating, not the company I'm keeping, not the, you know, people bowing down. I'm fulfilled when I'm on mission. And, and, and I tell people all the time whenever they first start coming to church, I say, listen, one of the first things you need to do, you need to learn how to get on a team. Like you need to, you need to put your gifts and talents to work. You need to do something for Christ. And, and in church is a great way to learn that so that you can do something outside. I, I'm never more fulfilled. I'll tell Perry all the time, like, like I'll preach a whole sermon and I'll get done with the sermon, and sometimes I'll feel like, man, that was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Like, I'll be, sometimes I'll feel very discouraged, just being honest with you. Sermons don't necessarily satisfy me. They don't necessarily fulfill me. But when I walk off the stage, if one person, and, and now someone's going to do it today being funny, but if someone were to come up to me and, and they were to say, hey, something you said in that message really spoke to my heart and really made a difference. Now, at that point, I'm fulfilled. Because I feel like I've, I've ministered to someone. Even if it's one, I've ministered to someone. There's times when I'll tell Perry, I said, I had this great conversation today at the gym, or I had a great conversation today at the gas station, or I had a great conversation today at wherever, name the place. And I'll come home and I'll feel more fulfilled because I feel like I'm accomplishing the mission of Christ, which is seek and save the lost outside, even outside of these walls. And so it's important for us to understand that we will be fulfilled. If you'll learn to be on mission, you'll be fulfilled. Verse uh, 45 says this, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. One of the things that I want you to do, number four, so so you've got to be kind, right? Uh, We've got to be willing to share. We've got to be a bridge. And then four, we've got to be aware. So the Bible says that Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. At the same time, this lady is bringing people out to meet him. Some scholars say that probably there were a lot of wheat fields in the area and the people are literally walking through the wheat fields. So, so while the disciples are so concerned about why Jesus is talking to a woman and they're so concerned about where did he get food and they're so concerned about all the other stuff, Jesus says this, he says, wake up and look around. In some versions, it's got an exclamation mark right, now, right there because Jesus is trying to drive home a point. If you will look around... Stop looking at the menial, stop, stop asking dumb questions, and look around. There are people everywhere, and in this point in the story, literally people in the harvest fields, in the wheat fields. He says there are people everywhere. The harvest is ready. I just need someone to collect it. I need someone to be on mission. And, and so that's something that we need to learn how to be aware. We need to be aware of the harvest, be aware of the Holy Spirit. I like how he says, don't say, stop saying four months from now. Listen, don't, don't make the excuse of when I'm older. Teenagers, don't make the excuse of one day I'll, do, I'll be on mission. You're in the greatest mission field you've ever, you will ever be in, and that's a high school or junior high. That's the greatest mission field. You're, everybody is trapped in one place. They can't get away from you. You're in a great mission field. Don't say whenever I learn more. Don't say when I've been through five small groups. Don't say when I've gone to Bible school. Don't say one day if I can ever get on the stage. No, no, no. Be on mission right now. Be on mission right now wherever you are because the harvest is ready right now wherever you are. The harvest is ripe. We just have to be aware of it. Stop worrying about tomorrow and worry about today. Today you've got an opportunity. Jesus says wake up and look around. The harvest is ready. We've got to get our focus on the right thing. The harvest is ready at your school, it's ready at your job, it's ready in your family. We just have to open up our eyes and see it. And when I said that about paying attention to what the Holy Spirit 
Listen, we need to be aware that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to us. There, there are going to be times... Um, I was talking to, uh, talking to Jake and Melissa, last time they sat on the front row. Um, I was talking to Jake and Melissa the other day, and, and we were talking about um, someone came down for prayer, and Jake and Melissa immediately, both of them separately, um, and you did too, right? Yeah. So all, the whole family all of a sudden looks down and they go, I feel like we need to pray with her. Immediately. They didn't say that to each other, but all three of them thought the same exact thing at the same exact time. Can I tell you what that was? And this is what I told them. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to you about what? About the harvest. The Holy Spirit looked, said, hey, there's an ear of corn ready to be plucked. There's an apple that's ripe. Go ahead and pull it down. Like, like begin to speak to him. We need to learn how to recognize when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And listen, in church is the easy place to do that. But as we mature, we need to do that outside of church. We need to do that outside of church. As you're in the gas station, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Micah, he might tell you when you're out working on someone's air conditioner, hey, you need to tell this person about me. You need to be kind to this person. You need to be aware. And, and, and so we need to learn to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, even outside. i got to hurry. I'm almost done. John 4. i got one more point. i just got a long time to get there. John 4, uh, verse 36 says, The harvesters are paid good wages. Uh, the fruit in the harvest, um, and, and the fruit they harvest is, is, uh, is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants, another harvest. It's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. One of the things Jesus is saying there is we all work together. Just because, just because one person plants and another person waters and another person harvests doesn't mean we don't all work together on this thing. So don't get upset if you spend, you know... Every, every night of the week and you're talking to the same person over and over and over and over and then all of a sudden that person goes to another person and they, their life is transformed. And you're like, man, what in the world? I did all the work and they reap all the rewards. It's okay. As long as it's harvested, that's all that matters. There's been times I had to get over this as a pastor and as a church. We have to get over this concept because churches have so much competition between them. we got to get over this concept. There have been plenty of times whenever I've had people in our church and, and I felt like I poured into them and poured into them and poured into them. And all of a sudden they were like, I feel like I need to go to another church. And I was like, no, don't go to another church. I did all the work. And they go to another church and just blossom and flourish and everything's great. And I'm like, oh, that pastor's getting all the credit for the hard work I did. I'm either in competition or I'm in the harvest. If I'm in the harvest business, then, then I know that I planted and I watered and someone else harvested, and that's okay as long as the kingdom is grown. We can't be in competition with other churches. We can't be in competition with other teams or small groups or whatever. We've got to learn how to love people. Do your job, and everybody's going to do their job together. Let me keep going. Last point, I promise. Verse 39 Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him, talking about Jesus, to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough. If you're highlighting today, highlight the words long enough, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. I want to tell you something. The last thing we've got to do is we've got to be available. So we've got to be kind. We've got to be willing to share. We've got to build, be a bridge. We've got to be aware. And then lastly, we've got to be available. This is something, I, um, if, you, if you talk to Pastor Nathan, um, each one of these different things you're going to hear from each one of your leaders in our church. Like, we all probably have areas that we, that we hone in on. For me, it might be the be kind one, and, and, and for, for a cowboy, it might be, you know, being a bridge. I don't know, but for Pastor Nathan, I can go ahead and say, without him saying this to me, I can tell you being available is a big one for him. Because 
One of the aspects I see about him that, that I love, Pastor Nathan loves to just sit down and, and eat with someone. He loves the across-the-table ministry, and he's good at it. He's way better at it than I am, that's for sure, right? Just the, the across-the-table. And listen, this is just like Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was always eating with people. Think about this. He ate with Zacchaeus. He ate with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He ate with Simon the leper and Simon the Pharisee. He didn't care what kind of Simon you were. He's going to eat lunch with you, right? He liked all the Simons. He ate with Matthew the tax collector. He ate with all the disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus loved to eat with people. Now, is being on mission eating with people? Not necessarily, but I need you to understand something. The idea of eating with people in that context was a relationship-building moment. That Jesus was available... To build relationships with people. He was available to build relationships with people. He was available to to hang out long enough for someone to believe. Now, he didn't stay with them all the time. He didn't didn't set up shop and live in in Samaria and, and just stay there forever. No, no, no. He stayed there long enough for them to believe. And then they began to build their own relationships. One of the things I love at church that makes me feel good is whenever people come in and I've got, I've got a person from this side of the room and a person from this side of the room and the only person they know in the church is me, I don't like that. Like I want them to know other people and then I love it when I hear about a person from this side of the room is hanging out with the person on that side of the room and I wasn't invited. Now you would think I'd get upset, but I love it. What does that show me? That shows me that we're becoming available for each other, but I'm not the only one that's available. Now you're available you're available and you're available and you begin to build these relationships that is so important for the mission of Christ building relationships takes time and effort and my goal in life is to be available that's my goal I want to be available I can't be available for everybody and so that's where we all have to be on the same mission so somebody can be available for somebody else the last verse in that passage says Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. I love that that woman became the bridge. And they said, we don't need you anymore. You are a great bridge to get us here. But now we've got our own relationship with Christ. And that's the goal of the mission. The goal of the mission is to help people find Christ and have their own relationship with him. So how are we going to end this? Where are we going to pray? Here's how we're going to pray. Matthew 9, 38 says this. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. That word send there um, seems very bland, but in reality, it's got a punch to it. The word send there means to drive or cast out. It literally has a violent motion attached to it. In the Greek, it's got a violent motion attached to it. In other words, when Jesus says you need to pray that God would send people out, What he's saying is, you need to pray that God shows up in a church with comfortable seats and begins to just kick people out of the building to go get on mission, to go fulfill the harvest. We need to be out there. We don't need to be stuck in here. We need to be out there. I'm an LSU fan. Most of you know it, and it's the last story, and I'm going to stop talking. As an LSU fan, I'm I'm required to dislike Texas A&M. Don't like them. Can't stand them. Won't buy a shirt that's maroon. But Texas A&M has a neat tradition. It's called the 12th man tradition. 
And back in 1922, Texas A&M was in uh, what is now known as the Cotton Bowl. It wasn't called that then, but they were in the Cotton Bowl. And their coach was named Dana Bible. And Dana's uh, team, Texas A&M, was riddled with injuries. And there was, there was not enough, Dana was afraid he wouldn't have enough players to even finish the game. And so the story goes that, that Dana looked up in the crowd, and when he looked up in the crowd, he saw a guy, I want to get his name right, um, he, he saw a guy named E. King Gill, and, and Gill is sitting in the crowd, and he's a former player that was no longer on the team anymore. And he looked up in the crowd, and he saw Gill, and he said, Gill, I need you. Get out of the stands and put on a jersey. Now, Gill could have very easily said, Coach, you didn't need me when you kicked me off the team. He could have said, Coach, you... I haven't played in a couple of years. I, I'm, I'm sore and I'm old and I'm broken. He could have said, Coach, I don't even have all the right equipment and I, I didn't warm up and I didn't eat breakfast like I should have this morning. Gil could have had all the excuses in the world. He could have said, Coach, it's more comfortable in the stands than it is out there on the field. But the story goes that Gil got out of the stands, walked down on the field, grabbed a jersey, threw it on, and stood on the sideline ready to go in the game whenever Bible needed. And what we don't want to do as, as Christians is we don't want to have a coach in Jesus Christ, not in Gabriel, in Jesus Christ, that's saying, I need some players. I need people on the field. There's a harvest, and I need workers. And what we don't want to do is say, yeah, but God, I'm comfortable right here in the stands. It's more fun, and it's easier for me just to watch Gabriel do it, or watch Mike do it, or watch Nathan do it. It's easy for me to watch someone else do it than to actually go do it myself. And God says... I've already got Gabriel doing something. I've already got Nathan doing something. I need you. I need you to come out of the stands. I need you to be the 12th man. I need you to be the one that's available and ready to do whatever I ask of you. Why don't you stand up with me today? Now we're going to pray. We're going to have prayer team come down to the front. If you need to pray about anything, I want to pray with you about anything that you've got today. Anything that you've got. But I especially want to pray if any of you say, Gabriel, I'm tired of being in the stands. I'm ready to get in the game. I'm tired of being in the stands. I'm ready to get in the game. I, I, I'm, I'm, I know that God's got a calling on my life, but at, at the end of the day, I know his calling really is just to seek and save the lost, wherever that is. Wherever that is. I'm tired of being in the stands. I'm ready to do something for Christ. That's going to be a big prayer today. So, so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a second as my prayer team comes on down. As they come down, I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to invite you to the front. So, God, I just pray for each and every person in this room. I pray for those that are watching online this morning or this afternoon, whenever they're watching it. And we just ask you today to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you today to draw us to a place of decision, draw us to a place of commitment. And so, God, today, if we don't know you at all, I pray that you would be that living water for us that not only cleanses us, but brings us life. I pray that we would give our hearts to you, we'd give our lives to you, we'd confess our sins to you, and we would be forgiven by you. God, for those of us that know you, for those of us that live for you, God, don't let us be comfortable, but kick us out, drive us out of our comfort zone and put us in a place where we're loving people, where we're kind to people. God, where we're a bridge between them and you. God, a place where we can at least, at the very least, share our story. God, help us to get out of the stands today and help us to get on the mission. Jesus' name.